Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now. Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I am your host, Leanne DeSanto, and we are honored to have you with us today. And today's a very important conversation with my guest, Christy Hagstead. Now, Christy has dedicated her life to helping to abolish the stigma of mental illness and suicide after the very heart-wrenching loss of her husband who completed suicide in 2012. She has turned her, her grief and her own story and her own tragedy to help others. And she now is a certified grief recovery specialist and a grief and loss facilitator for recovering addicts at South Coast Behavioral Health. And she frequently speaks to high school students. This is often a subject that's swept under the rug, but she has used her own process to reach out and to help, especially teens, in her book, Beneath the Surface, A Teen's Guide to Reaching Out When You or Your Friend Is in Crisis. And she does believe that it's about reaching out for help when you need it and also to recognize when someone around you needs help as well. So rise up for you and enjoy this episode with Christy Hagstead. Well, hello, Christy, and welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. Hi, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, excited to have you here today. And so we always like to start out by sharing with our audience um, you know, who you are, what you're doing, and the journey that led you here today. Well, about actually almost seven years ago today, uh, my husband, Bill, completed suicide by train in Dana Point, where we lived. And... Since that time, I just thought, you know, what am I going to do with this pain? I, it was so unexpected, and I was in such a dark place that I thought, okay, you've got two choices here. You can either wallow in your pain, feel sorry for yourself, and continue to isolate, or you can take that pain and do something with it to help others. And that's more my personality to select plan B. And my husband was 54 when he took his life. And it was already too late for him. He'd already bought into that stigma of mental illness. He wasn't about to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. So my idea was, you know, we need to normalize conversations about mental illness. And that has to start with our kids growing up, start with our teens so that as they grow up, their mental health is as much a part of normal conversation as their physical health. Mm-hmm. So to abolish that stigma, we need to change the dialogue and start with our youth. So the death of my husband inspired me to write my book that just came out a few weeks ago. It's called Beneath the Surface. Mm-hmm. And it's a book to help teens in crisis. Thank you very much. <laughs> when you or your friend is in crisis. Mm. So in the book, first of all, I'm a health educator. And I know how hard it is for health teachers and parents and administrators and counselors to start these conversations. For them, it's difficult. For me, it's not because I've lived it. Mm -hmm. So I am not shy about starting conversations, talking about it, because I know how important that is. So I didn't want to make it like a textbook for kids. 
because they already have enough pressure to get good grades, right? <laughs> right. So I thought, you know, I'm going to talk with the teens instead of down to them. So I included stories of real teens that I know personally, and I cover all the different issues that our teens deal with today, like cyberbullying, bullying, peer pressure, academic pressure, self-pressure, self-harm, eating disorders, anxiety, uh, suicide. And then with each of those issues that our teens faced, I found a teen that struggled with those exact things. So I made it real. And then in those stories, I also had the teen offer a message of hope. Hmm. And so what inspired me was my husband's suicide. And my purpose now and my mission in life is suicide education. And that has to start young. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't start that now, many more lives are going to be lost. And that's exactly what's happening because teen suicide now is an epidemic. And we have to do something immediately. Absolutely, absolutely. I heard a stat recently that the... um, the age group with the highest, like, I don't know if it's doubled or tripled suicide is the 10 to 14 age group. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's so frightening. So frightening. When you think of how young these kids are, how do they even know right. methods to complete suicide? I mean, 10 years old. Yeah. And there are stories of nine year olds that are being bullied at school and they just can't take it anymore. Right. And it's not so much that they want to die. But their whole world is their school and their home. And if they are under so much pressure and they are forced to go to school and to face those demons, you know, that is really, really asking a lot of our kids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know in in the past they say, you know, it only would happen at school. But now with social media and the Internet, they go home and they're bullied. Right. It's like 24 seven. Absolutely. You know what? At least when I was a kid. Once I got home from school, and I was bullied, and I was also a bully, so I understand that, and I still have very vivid memories, and it's extremely painful, and you take that pain with you your entire life, but I know for me, when I got home from school, I was safe. I had a safe place because we didn't have iPhones, and nobody could enter my bedroom and continue to bully me, Right. right? So if they wanted to bully me, they had to call a landline and and possibly (laughs) talk to one of my parents first. Right. (laughs) Right. So at least I could cut myself off and I had a safe place once I left school. And that's not true for kids these days. So we need to create these safe spaces for them. And a lot for a lot of kids, the bullying actually amps up once they get home from school because now they're not at school. They've got the time. And that's when, the cyberbullying actually kicks up. Mm. So I feel so bad for our kids because they don't have a safe place and they are online and other peers have access to them 24 seven. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Talk a little bit about what, I know we have probably a lot of parents listening right now and uh, what are some signs that your kid could be maybe in trouble or um, some bullying or some things could be going on and then maybe some strategies too, like, you know, where do you even start if you believe this is happening? And Well, the, the easiest way I like to explain to parents and teachers about warning signs of teen depression or suicide is 
think of your child or your student as somebody that you no longer recognize. Mm-hmm. So they have a, a drastic changes of behavior. They have a new, a new set of friends. Um, they are isolating. They're withdrawn. They no longer enjoy extracurricular activities that they once used to. Their grades are declining. They're skipping school. Uh, they're turning to drugs and alcohol. So mm-hmm. they're kind of morphing to somebody that you no longer recognize because mm-hmm. all this darkness is setting in and it, it's there's huge changes in behavior. They either sleep too much or not at all. They either eat too much or don't eat at all. So changes in mm-hmm. eating and sleeping behaviors, that feeling of hopelessness, uh, but the, the changes in friends and the skipping school and the declining grades, that's not just a normal part of, of a teenager. I mean, a, a little bit, right? right but right. with those dark signs and the isolation and the withdrawal and they're staying in their room mm-hmm. and they're not coming out for dinner and they're, they're isolating and that continues to go on week after week, mm-hmm. those are huge red flags that your child or your student is in crisis. Right. Now, would you say those are the same signs, whether your child is being bullied or possibly is the bully or is it different? They're not always the same, but Mm. a lot of times the reason people bully is because they have low self-esteem. Right. Right. So they're trying to kind of stay on top of the game. I know when I was in high school, I did it because I didn't want it to happen to me. Right. You know, so I think a lot of kids are afraid to stand up to that bully because they don't want to become the victim of that because it's just too painful to imagine. So the signs aren't always the same for the bully as the person being bullied. You know, usually the person that's doing the bullying is not necessarily, you know, skipping school or or their grades are declining um, at that moment. Right, right. Sometimes it's what we term the mean girl or the mean person or the sometimes the popular kid who's, you know, struggling to. Exactly. They're being fed by their peers that they're popular and everybody is afraid of them. So it's a little bit different than the one that's being bullied because they're the ones that are experiencing that dark emotional pain. Whereas the bully is maybe trying to avoid that himself or herself. Right. They just manifest it in a different way, right? Exactly. They're typically in some but type of pain. Both, both result in low self-esteem, you right. know, and the bully is trying to reduce somebody else and control and be mean mm. for their own benefit because they also have low self-esteem. And that also happens to the bully. You know, they think that, you know, they're not worthy. Nobody likes them. And this is also really, really played out on social media because these teens it's the like generation. How many likes did you get on Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook? Right. And they're comparing lives. And, and, and we all know, and we do it too as adults, that's not our true life of who we actually are 24-7. Right. We only post the good stuff and the stuff that might make people smile. But right. these teens are comparing themselves to these, these perfect lives of their peers, and they feel like they're not measuring up. Mm, right. I mean, there's... Yeah, and there's plenty of adults that feel that way too, right? I mean, I know so many people that I coach and work with that same thing, right? It's it's like this comparison, this whether it's they're trying to grow their business or you know personal, but it's it's just uh, media and the images that we're fed twenty four seven, 
it's it's no wonder why, right? It's not and super surprising. That, yes, that all of that technology that they are dialed into 24-7, that is also causing depression. Right. Because they are getting addicted to technology yeah. and they cannot function without it. I mean, you see pictures of teens sitting at the dinner table and everybody's on their phones. Right. And I think the problem too is, I mean, I'm not speaking for you, but I do it myself. Absolutely. I am on social media on my phone way too much. Mm -hmm. And so kids are watching us. And if we're the adults and we're supposed to be setting examples, you know, then we need to dial it back too. Right. I think there needs to be a... um... Yeah, an agreement, you know, an agreement in your house, because that's what you control as a parent, right? And, and decide what that looks like for you in terms of time on, time off. But let's talk a little bit about that in terms of how would you recommend a parent even starts the conversation around not only phone time and social media, but just, you know, um, if there's bullying, if they're being bullied, like, you know, how do you even start that conversation with your teen? I think... The most important thing is to be direct and to be honest and don't tiptoe around the issue. You know, the, the talk years ago used to be, oh, we're having that hard talk about sex. You know, but now it's about depression and suicide, right? Right. right. We cannot tiptoe around those issues. But I think the easiest way to approach that is to, number one, get their teen at a time where they're a captive audience. And by that, I mean, they're in bed. And you're sitting at the end of the bed and they're captive. You know, you're holding them captive right. or they're in the backseat of the car on the way home from school. So don't try to start that conversation when your child already has one foot out the door to do something else. That's yeah. important. And start the conversation with your observations. It can be about your child or it can, it can be about one of your child's friends. Mm. You know, like I noticed you seem to be in your room a lot more than normal. Or, you know, I noticed when I picked you up that a couple of your friends were standing by themselves, you know, are are they okay? You know, are they being bullied? So I think the easiest way is to notice uh, uh, site observations Hmm. or changes in their behaviors. You know, like I know you're not, you used to go out uh, for basketball and, you know, you said you didn't want to do that this year. And I noticed that you're not hanging out with the same kids anymore. Mm. You know, is, did, did somebody say something that you didn't like or engage them to find out why their friends have been changing or why they're not going out for sports or drama or extracurricular activities. So don't do it in a judgmental way. Just do it in a way that I've, I've, I've observed some changes in your behavior. And I'm just wondering, are you okay? Mm. And that's why since conversations like that are really hard to start, in the back of my book, after each chapter that discusses a different teen issue, I wrote discussion questions. So the parent, the teacher, the administrator, the youth organizer can actually say, okay, let's, let's talk about anxiety and let's turn to the back of the book, those questions about anxiety, because I want to talk about this. And I think this is a, going to be a really cool way to start that conversation. And so now you and your teen are both on the same page. Mm, I love that. I love that. The use of I noticed. It's so um, 
just like you said, an observation. It's not judging. It's not, you know, because sometimes I have, I have a 15 year old daughter, so I know it can be like, yeah, yeah, mom, I already know, I already know anytime I try to start a conversation. So, but yeah, it's more when I come in quiet, come in a little and it's, softer. It's coming from a place of love. Yeah. You know, I've noticed that you're, you've been a lot more quiet lately. Mm. And I just want to make sure everything's okay because I really love you and I want the best for you. And it's not, What's wrong with you? You've mm. been so quiet. Is there something going on that you're not telling me? Right. Because that immediately puts your 15 year old on the defensive. Totally, right? totally. And I think another thing that's important. I think another thing that's important for parents to realize, and a lot maybe a little more so with boys, just because you're ready to have that talk, doesn't mean they are. So you might get that everything's fine, mom. Right. Or I don't want to talk about it right now. And that's okay, too, because you really can't force them to have that conversation if they're not open at that time. So then you follow it up with, okay, I understand that, but I just want to let you know I'm here and I care so much about you. I love you more than I love myself. And the door is always open if or when you want to talk. Nice. And that invites them to start that conversation on their terms. Mm. So my point is don't get discouraged if your daughter says, I already know mom and I don't want to talk about it. Right. <laughs> right. right. You're going to get that. Yeah, totally. Totally. But I, but uh, yeah, and I totally uh, see what you're saying. Cause I know when I enter in like that, a little softer, a little just inquisitive, a little observation, it, it, the conversation usually goes a little better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not putting them on the defensive. Right. Right. And you know what? They are probably really in a lot of pain and they want to get it out and they want you to be that person they can trust with that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's there. It's just you have to be very real and very patient with your child. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, and really I love what you're saying with the conversation starters because I think that goes into any conversation, even us with our spouse or significant other or friends, you know, it's 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 entering in in that more observation, more I noticed, more, um, you know, I'm here, the door's open, and that's that's just going to be a great way to communicate with anybody. Well, absolutely, and, and you know, if, if your husband came home late for dinner and the first thing you said is, you're an hour late, but you know, I've had dinner on the stove for an hour and now it's not, you know, it's burning and forget it. We're not going to have dinner. That's going to put your husband on the defensive, right? Mm -hmm. So instead you say, was everything okay at work? You know, and I get, you were running a little late. I was just concerned and right. you know, let's order takeout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes it's those hard conversations that, right. that we, we avoid them because they feel hard and, oh, it's just time. And, but they're so, so critical. And let me Absolutely. ask you, let me ask you about your husband a little bit. Did looking back now, hindsight, was there some things there that you recognized? I mean, in all your research with the kids, was there some similarities you recognized with him? Every warning sign and risk factor that I list in my book, I saw in my husband. Mm. And that's why I'm so passionate about suicide prevention and education because every warning sign was right in front of me and I didn't know it. The isolation, the withdrawal, the negativity, the talk of suicide almost on a daily basis, oh, wow. the sense of hopelessness. Uh, he had all he could do to get out of bed in the morning and go to work for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And then when he was done, he'd come back and he'd crawl back into bed. So he had really major depression and 
I was on a mission to fix him, to get him to that right psychologist, psychiatrist, church counselor, and, and fix him because I too will admit now, seven years later that I too bought into the stigma of mental illness. I didn't want my husband to be ill. I wanted him to be the person I married and I wanted to go back to our lives the way that they were. Mm. So I was on that mission to get him that right magic pill or that right psychiatrist or psychologist that would bring my old husband back. And now I realize that wasn't going to happen. And instead I should have sat with him and said, you know what, Bill, I'm here for you for the long haul. And we are going to get through this together and we're going to find medication if that's what you need. And I'm going to support you all the way because I'm your wife. I love you. And I'm here for you. Mm. Right. And instead, instead of acknowledging that he did have a mental illness, I just wanted him to get back to being his old self. And Mm. I think parents do that with their kids. They don't want a kid that's bipolar or schizophrenic or that suffers from depression. They want their kid to be normal and fit in with everybody else because it's easier for them. And it takes a big person to say, hey, I have a loved one with a mental illness and I need to own that. I need to not buy into that stigma and I need to be with them through the long haul. Yeah. So yes, the warning signs and risk factors were all there. there, And I... I knew, I knew them, but I didn't think it applied to me. Mm, I thought that that, that's mental illness is something that happens to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't own it. And looking back, that's a huge regret. Mm. Now I can't say the outcome would have been different. I can't say I'm blaming myself, whatever, but you know how you role play after a tragedy and you think, well, what if I'd done this? Or if only I thought of that, or had I said that or gone to this doctor, you always revisit what happens with a different outcome. Right. Right. So that's a scenario I play in my head over and over again. And since I don't get a chance to know what a different outcome may have been, I want that for other people. Mm. Right. I want them to know it's okay. Right. They need help and be okay with that because if we're going to abolish the stigma of mental illness, the caretaker can't buy into it as well. Yep. Yep. We have to step out from behind the curtain, right? And in the secrecy and the shame and the guilt and all of that. And you've done it so beautifully with your book. It's wonderful. And I know all the counseling you do and the, the speaking in high schools that you do. So you are definitely, you know, paying that forward for people. So I just honor you for that and honor your vulnerability to speak about this so openly. Well, that's what it takes. Yeah. No, I can't tiptoe around it and act like nothing happened because that's not going to serve anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I use my story when I go to schools, I tell the story and then I have the kids write down the risk factors and warning signs as the story unfolds. Mm. So they have to listen and pick them out of my story. And then at the end, we go over them. So when they leave, they're equipped to recognize those warning signs in themselves or in a peer or a family member. So it's not, you know, it it can't just be, oh, this woman came to our school today and told a really sad story. That's not my takeaway. It's we're going to have an active learning event here so that you actually know 
what to look for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how, and that, and that will stay with them, right? We all know learning that way is just going to be so much more powerful and, and everything you're doing to, to get this message out there is absolutely awesome. So thank you for thank that. You. Yeah, thank absolutely. Well, now I'd like to step into the power section of our interview and just ask you a couple of questions. Um, first off, uh, for our audience, share a book that had a massive impact on you. You know, I'm a big fan of Wayne Dyer mm. because I like how he's so open and honest about his journey mm -hmm. and his transformation. And so the book that I really enjoyed uh, was I Can See Clearly Now mm -hmm. because it just talks about how he was just closed off and all about being a successful author and shutting out family and friends. And then through his life journey, he was growing and changing and evolving into a divine being with a purpose. And I, that really resonated with me. You know, yeah. it's like now I can see clearly because years before that I was extremely closed off and all about myself. Right. Ego and I driven, love yeah. uh, exploring that whole journey with him. Nice. Love it. Okay. How about a quote that you live by? Um, I think you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. Mm. So you need to embrace them and allow them to help you grow. Nice. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I often call it research. There is no failure. It's just research. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> it's gone badly. Exactly. Okay, that didn't work. Next. Right. But that's right? the key is learning from them, right? Well, and there's no human being that experiences success 100% of the time. Exactly. And so I learned early on that failures are how you grow. And to me, failure is not trying. Right. Yeah. So if there's something I want to do, I'm a failure if I don't get out there and attempt to do it. Right. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. How about if you could leave the world with one message, like one golden nugget, what would that be? I think I think this has become my my mantra as the grief girl. And I've adapted that through all my writing is that grief is not your enemy. Grief is your teacher. Hmm. Powerful. Yeah. It's beautiful. How can we support you and stay connected to you? All of my social media, the Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, all of those sites are on my website at thegriefgirl.com. All my blogs for the HuffPost, Elephant Journal. You can order my books on my website or through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any bookstore nationwide. So yeah. all of my work and to actually have me come and speak to your school or your youth group, all that information is on thegriefgirl.com. Grief Girl, perfect, excellent. And as you know, we're called Rise Up For You. So when you hear that phrase, Rise Up For You, what does that mean to you? It means that I have taken myself from a really, really dark, low point in my life and I have been able to rise above that and grow again from my failures and my mistakes and rise above that and actually turn that into helping other people and making a difference in their lives. Mm, love that, love that. Well, this has just been an amazing conversation, Christy. I so, so appreciate you, appreciate the work you're doing in the world and 
and just, um, you know, taking your own journey and your own process and sharing it to help others and absolutely love that. So thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com, and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly, and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow.